Hi there, my name is Tim. And my name is Luke. And you are listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode, we share ideas and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals, and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. So today we're interviewing Karen Simpson from TD Bank, and we're going to be talking about inclusion strategies for hiring into underrepresented businesses. So Karen is currently a senior talent inclusion partner specialized in women in leadership at TD Bank in Toronto. She is a CHRL who has been who has seen the evolution of the tech industry over the last few decades from both the agency and corporate sectors. Um, some other interesting facts about Karen. She raised four kids while working full-time, wow, Karen, and started climbing <laughs> mountains at the age of 50. She's now climbed the highest mountains in eight countries and brands herself on social media as at Karen Get Her Done. That's awesome, Karen. Karen is also <laughs> one of Canada's top recruiter. She was the number one winner for the 2018 Top Recruiter Awards. And as she says, she's most proud of, of the ethics she's carried through her career. And this was likely part of the reason she was awarded the number one position in Canada. So very welcome, Karen. Thank you, Luke. Thank you also for creating that opportunity so I could receive that award. Awesome. So Karen, let's get started here. What is diversity hiring exactly? And how does that actually differ from inclusion? Okay, I have this um, quote from Verna Myers on the bottom of every single one of my emails and it says diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. It's really that <laughs> simple, but if we break it down from a, a, a CHRL <laughs> perspective, it's basically mirroring the community in your workforce. So you can take all the stats from provided from the federal or your local governments, um, break it down into the pillars. Now, the, the pillars that are important to the federal government would be women, visible minorities, indigenous, LGBTQS2+, and people, persons with disabilities. But to me, that's not enough. So those are all great initiatives. Even adding veterans on there like they have in the States would even be a a better pillar, I think, to have in there as well. But inclusion, inclusion, without inclusion, you're not going to, you might have the diversity, you might be able to hire the people into the organization, but if it's not an inclusive and a belonging environment, they're not going to stay. So you're actually going to be worse off as an organization. So I think it's very important that organizations put time into creating acceptance and belonging and cooperation within their environments before they really take on a diversity hiring initiative. So you're actually saying organizations should start focusing on inclusion before diversity. Yes. Interesting. Strongly agree with that. Strongly believe that. We all have biases. I think um, helping people convert biases from subconscious to conscious and starting work and training and leadership actualization around that so that they're working with the teams they already have in creating an open environment. So when you have a diverse hire, they're going into a more progressed workforce situation than when them they might have been thrown into. It seems to me, and I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that most organizations focus on that the other way around. They start with diversity initiatives and then eventually get to inclusion. Why do you think that is? So 
having seen it actually right right through the end of the 80s to now, you remember, uh, and you two might not remember these days, but employment equity, um, hu- human rights. I, I remember doing for an insurance company even a, a, a national road trip around um, harassment and employment equity. And I think pe- companies focus on diversity because of those earlier initiatives where the government was going to mandate certain um, results and tracking in certain in the pillars that I mentioned earlier. And I think that's kind of just carried forward through the years, to be quite frank. It's, for example, banks, telecommunications companies fall under the Canadian Labor Code, which would be federally legislated. And there is reporting that goes to the federal government along those pillars. But most organizations are going to fall under their provincial HR code. So um, they're going to be unique to each province. But I really think that's where I think the whole focus on diversity started. And then companies are realizing they're having, there might be some issues or there might be some turnover, there might be some biases that they didn't recognize in the process. And then they start to address the inclusion side of it. Now, Karen, have you been um, implementing particular methods or solutions in order to foster a culture of inclusion at TD Bank? So, I mean, TD TD is a, a big organization with humongous amount of collaboration on all of this. Well, before I came onto TD's turf, they were already a pioneer in my eyes uh, across a lot of this. Even having people become more familiar with words is something that's actually thought about and talked about at TD. So um, I'll give you a recent example. So um, we need to have people become more familiar with the word refugee and using the word refugee and what does refugee mean, hiring refugees, and take the stigma away from it, very much like we did for a lot of our LGBT initiatives and Indigenous initiatives. Being out there, being vocal, creating events and branding around um, not only these words, but these pillars is like hugely important TTD. So what are the other kinds of challenges that corporations would experience, corporations like TD, when they're trying to, when they're, you know, in working talent attraction, particularly around hiring diversely, and maybe that includes refugees as well? Well, I think it's the war on talent that every single company is facing around technology, around data, artificial intelligence. Um, and I think sometimes we all get a little caught up in our processes and we forget to look at it in a more creative way that's going to allow us to react at the speed that technology is moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that would be uh, my key learning or suggestion for organizations that have a formal talent acqui- acquisition team is, A, you need to partner with the other side of your HR group. And why is that? To to help work through some of the leadership understandings or issues that might arise through the process and to help create whatever it's leadership development or or training programs, bias programs. And that will also increase the intelligence of the recruitment team as they move forward in the process and create a collaboration amongst the hiring leaders and the, the recruiting and HR teams. Now, Karen, what I'm wondering here is you say for sure at larger corporations, there's, there's a war on talent uh, for everyone. Does it mean that it's more challenging if there isn't an openness to having a very inclusive 
or diverse hiring strategy? Or is there actually a challenge in that those kinds of people are, are coming through the door, but the recruiters are not as open to hiring them? Where is the where is the problem actually? Is it that the talent isn't out there or that we don't know how to hire them because perhaps they might be, you know, maybe the English isn't what we expected to be or what we need it to be for our customers? You know, where's the gap? Okay, I, I think it's all, all the above. I don't mm-hmm. know if the stat is true, but this is what I heard recently is that um, the, the technology change that we've seen over the last 12 years, 20 years rather, is going to happen over the next five years. So I don't know how any of us are going to keep on, keep on top of with that pace of change, but we're going to have to, which means that the cream will rise to the top and the companies who are out there and engaged and building relationships on an ongoing basis without any breaks in between are, are going to be branding themselves in a way that will allow um, for them to get the first catch of the best candidates. Now, Karen, as I understand, one of your areas of focus or specialties in your role at TD is regarding women in leadership. Can you tell us some of the, uh, you know, the stuff that TD does or you do to promote women in leadership from a, from a recruitment lens, since we're on a recruitment now podcast here, what do do you guys do there? Right. So I was fortunate to be headhunted into this position and, and have the ability to create it. Um, and nobody, well, there wasn't a, another uh, footprint <laughs> for this position. And so it was a great opportunity to sit down and say, hey, there's going to be people internally who maybe don't support this way of thinking, even internally, externally. We're also going to have that issue. So what's, what approach am I going to take to this? And I spent many years on the agency side um, in a, a selling technical <laughs> recruitment um, for with much success for a lot of years. So I think that kind of honed my thinking around the approach and the branding of it. And my first thought was to look internal. I need to have my internal champions and role models, and I need to create partners externally that I'm going to help facilitate and brand and bring kind of bring that audience to us. And we work on, so when we're looking at areas of the, the business that are underrepresented, let's say with women, we see it's definitely going to be around STEM-related um, functions. For example, technology, capital markets. Um, our wealth customers want more women investing their money. So, so do we. So that was really the focus that we took. And we recognize that for the pillar for women, women tend to be in the more lower-paying jobs. So we need to work on management and up jobs so that we have a pipeline always going to our executives. And I'm very proud of TD's numbers. On the executive and the board level, it's just under 40%. What did you do specifically, though, to grow that number? Like, are you able to share some of the initiatives, you know, specifically you put in? So, like I said, I built the internal champions channel. If I need, if I have a candidate who's come to me or I found at one of the many events, I went to 67 events last year, um, then I will introduce them to a leader within the organization who I know will take good care of them and be able to talk maybe more intelligently to their specific business. Um, The other side is um, creating opportunities for mentorship, um, branding at events, and diligently tracking and pipelining those candidates so that I can make internal referrals either to my recruitment colleagues or directly to the leaders in the business. So this isn't something you were doing at a 10,000 foot level. You were right on the ground attending. And by events, you mean events within TD or outside events? No, 
I went to 66, 67 external events last external year. External events, wow. wow. And, yeah, and, so a lot of those are women's events, yep. uh, women in tech events, STEM events, et cetera. Um, but trying to target the mid-management level um, for most of those events. So that sounds to me like that works really well when you're trying to attract new talent. But when you're, when you're working on the talent you already have and working at promoting them within, uh, would you say that's where the you have internal ambassadors who really speak to those women and help build them up, give them the confidence, give them the skills and the opportunity to then move up within the company? Yeah, I, I'm solely focused on bringing external, introducing external talent into the organization. But yes, we do have people within our very large talent acquisition team who are focused on um, helping identify internal talent for more senior positions. So what are the very key things you look for in that kind of talent, which is particularly mid-level, I'm guessing females? women in business, when you go to these events, what are the telltale signs? What is it that you can tell from that first meeting, this is a candidate I need to connect with again? It would be no different than a man or any other pillar that, of candidate that I might be looking at. It, it's basically, do I feel that they would fit into TV culture? Do they have a skill set that we are looking to hire? Do I feel that they have had the scope of leadership opportunities that would would fit well into this organization? It's it's not looking at a candidate as fitting into a pillar as much as it is making sure we have a great candidate to pipeline and shortlist to our hiring managers. Now, how much of that would you say you're doing just to to build that pipeline versus actually actively recruiting. And why I ask that is because it seems that there's a lot of reactive recruiting happening. You know, we have this oh, vacancy. Okay, let's find that one person to fill this vacancy. Whereas the payoff might be larger if you're constantly building that funnel of candidates that when the time is right, you can just reach out to your, your already homegrown funnel. My... What I do is at least 95% pipelining. So I'm not ever thinking of a specific role for a candidate. Okay. Now, there would be a couple of exceptions to that. Um, sometimes I might even refer to them as soft spots. When you get into the research, particularly around women in technology, and you hear the numbers of women, female developers that we have in North America, um, it is very sad. So oh, the, yeah. the number when I looked at it in 2017 was around 11 to 12 percent. Wow. 11 to 12 percent of developers in North America are women. But is that representative so, of how many of them are actually taking that up as something they want to, to learn about, get educated and skilled in? Or is it because they're actually not getting the opportunity to get those jobs? You know, what, um, what I mean is... is is the is the lack of women in those fields already starting at the school level or is it only because they're not being given the same equal opportunity to get those jobs it, i think it's potentially both we've we've all heard the term programmer right mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I have no doubt there's biases whenever you have such a a saturation in in one area there's going to be biases that do impede um, other groups come entering into that field but the other, the other area would certainly be like data is no different. I mean, across technology, it's typically um, we 
are always looking for women. We want more doing in DevOps, for example. We want more involved in infrastructure. The numbers around that are only slightly better than um, female developer count. Now, where do you think the responsibility lies? And I'm asking this more as an educator, and my school doesn't have a tech program, so we're not training software developers, but is there a responsibility on the schools or is it on companies to push the schools to focus on more women if they're seeing the output there? Where do you think that responsibility lies? Okay. I tend to be very transparent, Tim. So yep. I'm, I'm trying, I'm going to try to hone, but I might not completely um, yep. be successful at this. I, I always look at it as companies like TD have a lot of power. And yep. I think that that power should be, be used to its full advantage when it's going to better our community. And if we go to a school and we ask them, like, what, what, what was the breakdown of diversity in your business? your Bachelor of Science program and you're giving me a number that doesn't mirror the community, I have a choice to make then. I can continue to work with your school early talent or I can choose to go to another school and ask them that same question. If they have a better answer, then I can put more attention on that school. So I do think that that I don't I don't focus on early talent, so that's not my decision to make, but when you're asking my opinion, that's how I would phrase it. I really well, I think that me Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I, I just think there's, as we're talking here, I, I wonder that perhaps recruiters could have more of an advocacy role with the educational institutions if they're seeing those talent gaps. And if we wait for government to do it, it'll be two, three, four years down the road by the time the data catch, catches up. But recruiters see it live where they yep. see these drops and if they see their applicants. So I, I guess I'm thinking out loud. I want to hear your opinion on that, that maybe there is more of an advocacy role that recruiters can take on to push back at schools and what they're doing in their own recruitment practices. Well, they're well, not even aware yet. <laughs> possibly. I mean, I, I think we have over 60 people in our early talent team, and I know they're all out on the road right now. So I, there's a huge amount of advocacy coming from our organization and actually being at the campus and making sure that they're having that opportunity to start building relationships very early on in the school year. Okay, now, uh, shifting gears a little bit, you know, what are some of the skills that are needed in today's market that you see perhaps are lacking? You know, you know, you're on the front lines of recruitment, recruiting people. But what are some of those skills that you, you think are lacking? In addition to the STEM, the STEM In addition skills, to the STEM, but other skills, maybe softer yeah. skills there. Yep. I mean, we could go through the data, cyber, all that stuff like we've already mentioned. But hands down, uh, emotional quotient. I think EQ, Mm -hmm. um, with, again, the speed of change and technology, and and I've been a technology recruiter for almost 30 years, if not more than 30 years. Don't give Um, it away, Karen. And (laughs) I know, I know, you're not supposed to say that apparently, but I'm actually quite (laughs) proud of my age. So. Um, what I have seen, and as an agency recruiter, you, what is the first thing that you hear from a client typically? That technologies that they need, and they'll rhyme off all these acronyms that they need, and then they might get to the point where they're talking a little bit about self, um, soft skills, etc. But when you think to the future and how technology is actually going to, to fill the gap for a lot of the IQ, that's not going to be as important. EQ is going to be extraordinarily important. And who are the people who are going to not lose their jobs? Tech technology are the people who have very strong EQ, very strong decision-making and coaching skills. 
And how can you test for that? I mean, there are so many systems out there where candidates are given a coding task to really see if they have the technical ability, do they have the hard skills, the IQ, but how do you test for EQ? So, I mean, I'm focused on the recruitment side. I'm not focused on the assessment side. So what I would say to that is I'm constantly looking for behavioral cues, demonstrated experiences, and how they speak to those experiences. Interesting, yeah. I wonder if that's going to be something that's going to be taking off going into the future, as you say, in the next five years, technology is going to move so far forward. But how do we then judge the human element? That's going to be There's a business uh, market in there, uh, Luke. We should start something. It's <laughs> <laughs> easy to measure yeah. those hard skills, but a lot harder to measure those soft skills like e- EQ there. Yeah. Now, Karen, you've been recruiting for many years, as you said. What has kept you going? What's kept you so passionate for so long, for 30 years? There's a couple of things about recruiting. I guess I, when I stepped away, it was to do projects that had me wearing more HR hats, etc. cetera. Um, but I've never completely let m- both feet <laughs> leave recruitment. I actually get to help candidates put food on the table and a roof over their head for their families. I don't think you could get much more of an exciting give back feeling to a job. The other thing that I always loved about it is that recruiting, a solid recruiter touches on every facet of employment for their client or the company that they're working for. You have to know a lot and to confidently answer questions as they might arise through the process. And then I find when when the candidates get jobs, who's the first person they go to? It's typically not the HR consultant because the relationship building through the recruiting process has, um, if it's been a really solid one, that the first go-to is the recruiter. So you get to continue that relationship on even after really your job's kind of done. That's awesome. You really have an impactful impactful job as a recruiter it's amazing yeah i like how you broke that down too that you're helping people put food on the table and take care of their families when you get them that job or that promotion they can you know do that with their family it's a pretty cool experience it is to be a part of that to be a be a part of that journey and when i've worked as a recruiter that it definitely is the most rewarding part when you make that offer and you see them thrive in that role it's pretty cool to watch and I think in the days when you're, uh, you can't find that candidate or the volume is too much or you have too many requirements that you're working on, I, I, I always come back to that, you know. We, and every once in a while you meet a candidate who comes in and they were let go from their job and they just haven't got it figured out in terms of where they're going to go or where they might land or how, how they're going to put the food on the table next month. And that always brought me back home. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Um, You've really shared quite a bit with us here today. I never thought that I would learn a difference between diversity and inclusion. I think that was really interesting. That's a point for me to take home. And to learn a little bit more about the challenges faced by corporations in hiring for diversity, learn to start with inclusion, and that pipelining is one of the most effective ways to, to, to hire effectively in that area. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you for sharing your passion. And please c- keep continuing doing what you do. <laughs> and, and we look forward to connecting with you again. And once again, congratulations on being Canada's top recruiter. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and it was wonderful speaking with you.